Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Hello everyone. On today's podcast, my special guest is the legendary West Indian fast bowler and now Sky Sports commentator, Michael Holding. Welcome to the paddock and the pavilion, Michael. Thank you, Stephen. Glad to be with you. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. How are you this sunny morning? I am good. I'm good. I'm just coming back from the new market, Heath, as my my usual routine is to go out in the mornings. I just got back from that, so everything is fine. Are you an early riser then? Yes, you have to be an early riser if you're going out with the horses. So you were there with, with you were there this morning with Sir Michael Stout. Yes, as usual. Yes, each yeah, morning. Must, why do Why do you like going down to the heath on a? I don't know why anyone wouldn't want to, but go to the the heath on a sunny morning. Well, I enjoy it. I I love horses. I love the entire spectacle of it all. And having had the freedom of being able to go out with Sir Michael Stout, you know. I enjoy it and I, I wouldn't miss it. And you've been on the telly with racing recently with the Racing League and, and, and at Royal Ascot with your top hat on. Yes, I haven't done the Racing League yet. I did Royal Ascot for three days and then I did the, the King George, Queen Elizabeth, um, the day of that race, just the one day, the Saturday. Yeah, you spent some time at Royal Ascot with one of, with one of my previous guests, Josh Appiaffi. Oh, yes, yes. Josh was there in the mornings and then he disappeared when racing started to go and have fun while I worked. <laughs> but he had a long, he has a long stint each morning. Yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. Well, in the first part of the, this two-part podcast, we're going to talk about your new book with Ed Hawkins, uh, Why We Kneel and How We Rise. Now, I've read the book and I, and I said to you earlier, it's a book that is a must-read, I think, for white people and, and black people, but white people would learn so much if they read the book, and, and the key word for me was education. Now, I want to go back to that word, but to begin with, you've, you've answered this question many, many times, but I have to ask it again. Why did you write the book? Well, I wrote the book because of so many people influencing me in that direction. I didn't intend to write a book. When I said what I said on Skype, 
I intended to move on and that was it. Because I said the people didn't understand what I was saying. They didn't want to understand that I couldn't go any further than that. But other people got involved. Lots of other people encouraging me to go further, to write the book and to be get involved more deeply. And that's how the book came about. And were you surprised by the reaction from the people that contacted you? You had Thierry Henry, Usain Bolt, uh, Naomi Osaka, Hope Powell. I didn't get contacted by, by all those folks that are in the book. Thierry Henry contacted me for sure. He, he got in touch with Sky asking them for my number and he called me. And I heard that Naomi Osaka wanted to get in touch. But at that stage, there was no plan for any book. It was just a chat that I had with Thierry. And I was looking forward to having a chat with Naomi because I heard she wanted to get in touch with me. But again, as I said, there was absolutely no plan to do a book. It was much later on that they, we decided to do this book. And when we decided to do the book, I got back in touch with Thierry and said, listen, this is the plan. I intend to go deeper with this thing. I want to do a book. Would you be happy to be involved in the book? And he said, absolutely. And then I then started to reach out to people. You see in Bolt, as you, as you mentioned, Naomi Osaka, um, Adam Goods from Australia, Hope Powell in, in, the UK, in the UK, Michael Johnson in the US. You know, I just started reaching out to people. I must tell you that not everyone that I reached out to or we reached out to between Ed and myself agreed to come on board. But I think we got a good set of people and good, ex, good experiences from those people and good teaching moments from those people. No, I certainly agree there. And I'd like now to come back to, in my opinion, what the key word in the book is, is about education. Can you explain how that was covered in the book? Well, first of all, I think a lot of this so-called education that we got, and when I say we, I mean the universal we, it wasn't correct. It was education slanted to fit a particular narrative. And that narrative was all about white superiority. That was the education that was hammered down most people's throats. And when I got to understand that half of it wasn't taught and half of what was taught was exaggerated and wasn't even near correct, I decided that I needed to go deeper into the history of mankind and to teach people what the true history of mankind was, not what one set of people wanted to teach. Because the slant was all about teaching what the colonizers wanted you to learn, not what everything should be taught. Because there are so many things that I never, ever was taught growing up in school. So many things about people of my color and my race did achievements that were never taught. They were hidden. They were airbrushed out of history because it didn't suit the narrative that people were pushing. And that is why I wanted to go deeper learn all these things and to bring them forward well i can vouch for that going to school in the uk in the late 60s and throughout the 70s certainly um as you said in the book uh, history is taught by the victors and i wasn't aware of lots of things that probably i should have been um, when i was studying history at school no not at all Stephen. No, you, you can only learn what you're taught when you grow up in an environment and you grow up anywhere and they are being taught things, that is what you believe. When I was a young man growing up in Jamaica, I was taught that Christopher Columbus discovered Jamaica in 1494. It's almost as if it didn't exist before Christopher 
Christopher Columbus came along. I, growing up in Jamaica again, Christian household, every image you saw of Jesus Christ was a pale-skinned man with blonde hair and blue eyes. So that is what you learn, that is what you accept, and that is what you believe. Much later on in life, I recognized that, number one, Christopher Columbus didn't discover Jamaica. It was always there with people living there, but he made Europe aware of, of, of Jamaica. And because Europe was not aware of Jamaica, they said he discovered it. It's almost as if it, I am not aware of it. It doesn't exist. Then, of course, you recognize that Jesus Christ could not have looked like what they portray him to have looked like. Not at that time of, of the earth's existence and the region that he was supposed to be from. But these are things that you grow up understanding and being taught, so you accept them. So I don't blame anyone for thinking that way. And do we know that, um, I don't know myself, whether things are being changed when people are being taught now at school? I think a few things have changed a bit. Not a lot, because I was on another program with another forum with a whole host of people, and one of them was a teacher. And she told me that, if you know, Septimus Severus, was a black Roman emperor. She says that since the 80s, that has been touched on a little bit in recent history. Of course, I, I left school long before the 80s, so I was never ever taught about this black Roman emperor. But apparently he is talked about now. But when you go to the museum here in the United Kingdom and you look for a bust of the gentleman, it's in Alabaster. So it is white, practically and physically white. But he, no one is there to tell you that he was a black Roman emperor. And those things have got to change. Have a plaque on it or something to describe what the man was and tell you what the man was. Now, and those things, I think, need to change a lot. A lot of the things that you see in the book, Stephen, a lot of the accomplishments of black people and people of color, need to be made, people need to be made aware of this. Because that is how you get inferiority and superiority complexes. Because if you don't see anything that shows that your race was great or did great things, you're going to think, oh, we have never done anything. As a matter of fact, a taxi driver in London told me that once. I took a taxi in London from a studio, went back to the hotel. He was an African driver. And he said to me in the discussion, oh, Africans have never done anything good. We have never even made a toothpick. Because that is what he was taught. That is what he believes. And I had to be telling him, no, that's rubbish. We pulled up to a traffic light. And I said to him, by the way, do you know who invented this traffic light that we have stopped by? And he said, no. I said, it's a black man that invented this three-way traffic light. He was astonished because they are not taught those things. Now, that's an interesting point. You've, you've raised it before. As my next question, really, that the book highlights many faces about black people, facts about black people who had been airbrushed virtually out of um, history. Uh, two that came to mind, Lewis Howard Latimer and, and Matthew Henson as well. What can you yes. tell me about those two people? Well, as you know, Lewis Howard Latimer invented the carbon filament, which makes light shine perpetually. Not forever, obviously, but Thomas Edison is credited for inventing the light bulb. But the light bulb that Thomas Edison invented was a faulty light bulb. It had a paper filament, and as soon as paper gets warm, it burns, so it didn't last. Nobody says anything about Lewis Howard Latimer. Without him and without the carbon filament, you wouldn't have an effective light bulb. But everything is about Thomas Edison, and that's all you're taught. 
if somebody was be taught about who invented a car, you'd certainly teach them about who invented the outer shell, the engine, whatever else is involved in the car. You wouldn't just say, oh, I invented the outer shell. But without an engine, where's that outer shell going? So you'd give everyone credit. He was never given credit. First man to actually put, set foot on the North Pole. Black man. But never given any credit. Nobody knows anything about him. Even when he died and he was buried. He was buried at the foot of this, the white man that is supposed to be, have been the first man there. He wasn't. But he's airbrushed out of history. This is Matthew Henson, the, the first person, Henson, yes. yeah, person to reach the North Pole. And, and like you said before, it's important, and it's always important to have heroes and role models to aspire to. And, exactly. And, and that is why those them. people were airbrushed out of history, because the narrative is white superiority. So we can't show people of color that have done great things. We can't make them feel they're equal. We can't make them not feel inferior. And why do you think that, that has been portrayed over the, the centuries, really? Because they wanted to subjugate a people, Stephen. If you're subjugating a set of people, you've got to make them feel inferior. And you, as a person, have got to feel inferior. So that when you are doing the subjugating and when you are doing the evil that you are doing, you don't feel guilty. And that was the plan from a long, long time ago, hundreds of years ago. And that is why these pseudoscientists that they, they brought up to, to, to come and talk about black people being inferior and the brains being smaller and feeling less pain than white people. That was all the plan, to subjugate a people and have these quack scientists who are still revered today, although it has been proven a lot of the rubbish that they taught was actually real rubbish, but they are still revered today because that was the plan. And another thing we mentioned when I spoke to you a few weeks ago at Newmarket, um, certainly growing up in the 70s, 80s, and I would say even into the early 90s, um, press and TV programs would regularly poke fun at black people um, and foreign people as well. And you were talking about the, the phrase brainwashing. Yeah, well, that is what had been going on for centuries, brainwashing. What I described earlier on about Jesus Christ and the image of Jesus Christ, that is to put it in your brain. That's the first thing you think of. You hear of Jesus Christ and images that are shown to you. And all of that is, is brainwashing, making you think things that are not actually real. They, they, they do it a lot with advertising, modern-day advertising, selling products. Put things into your head, give you images that you immediately think, oh, this is so fantastic. It's not real. But once you have it in your head, once you have those images in your head, you can't get rid of them because that's what you're brought up with. Stephen, it's a simple thing here. You are born into the world. If you are born in England, you're going to mimic whatever your parents do. You grow up automatically speaking English. If the same person is born in Spain, they'll grow up automatically speaking Spanish. You're a product of your environment. And if that is the environment in which you grow, you are just a product and you end up being what it is. And that is how it is all done over time. And the, the book identified, I think, truth and facts. Are you optimistic that things can change and that black people can be treated in the future the same way as white people in the world? In a long, long time from now, yes. 
I see things moving in the right direction. And I, I, I think the atmosphere has changed tremendously. A lot of the people who make policy, politicians, they need to get on board. A lot of them don't want to get on board. A lot of them look for excuses to keep the narrative going. But they need to get on board, otherwise they'll, left be, they'll get left behind because corporations are getting on board. Businesses are getting on board. So I see movement, but it can move better if the people who set policy were to get on board and to understand that things need to change. And personally, I've found sort of open conversation uh, with a very close black friend as, as is, is very good to, to actually talk about things. I think people are frightened of talking about things. A lot of people are afraid because they're afraid that they might say the wrong thing and offend people. If you don't have a conversation, you have absolutely nowhere going. Even in families, husband and wife, conversation and interaction is important for things to go smoothly. And we need to have conversations about this. And people need to be open-minded, both black and white, because both sides of the coin need educating. Yeah, you've read my mind, really. I was just, the next question is, what do you think is the key for this to happen? And you just said it, education. Yes, and conversation. Education and conversation. You can't just get educated and not talk about it. Both sides of the coin need to, to sit down together and deal with it and come to the right conclusions and through education and learning. Well, thank you very much for talking about the book. How, how have book sales been going? I'm not absolutely sure of numbers, but from all indications, they have been going very well. You know, the publishers keep on saying, yes, things are going well, and they keep on sending messages about, you know, it's number this and that and number what. I, I just want people to read the book. I have a friend who has voluntarily bought a lot of books to put into some libraries in Staffordshire, and that is what I would love to see. I want to see this book in schools. I want to see it in libraries. Because I need people to read. We all in this world need people to read and educate themselves so that they know the truth and they can understand the human race. Well, thank you very much in part one for discussing the book with me. And I'd I'd agree with what you've just said there. It's uh, so important that people talk uh, and and read this book because it does have a very good message to uh, the human race, really, that we're all all here together. And... um, we all should have the same chance and opportunity in life. That is all it is all about, Stephen. Everyone having equal opportunity. Not everyone will take advantage of their opportunities, but everyone must have equal opportunity and equal respect. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and The Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.